Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We get an update from Hamilton Public Health on the COVID-19 Omicron variant. The global supply chain crisis has impacted your favorite cocktail bar. The federal government has tabled a new bill to ban conversion therapy in Canada. And we shine a spotlight on Giving Tuesday. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. I don't foresee us having to take any steps back at present. Uh, we will, though, need to completely understand if it's more virulent, if it's, uh, it increases the risk for hospitalization. That is the voice of Chief Medical Officer of Health here in Ontario, Dr. Kieran Moore, uh, appearing live on CHML's Bill Kelly Show with his news conference yesterday morning. And uh, in addition to what he had to say, and he had a lot to say, we've also learned that Hamilton has a couple of suspected cases of this new COVID-19 Omicron variant. So what is the latest? Well, let's bring in our next guest to talk about this. Michelle Baird is Hamilton Public Health Services COVID-19 Operations Chief and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Rick. So what is the latest, greatest on Omicron here in the city of Hamilton? So in Hamilton at this point, we have two confirmed cases of COVID-19 in individuals who have uh, traveled to South Africa. So at this point in time, we're waiting to get the genomic sequencing for these cases because at this point, we know simply that they're COVID-19 cases. They're not uh, Omicron confirmed cases as of yet. So we can call these suspected cases of Omicron? Is that the, the appropriate terminology that we can use? At this point, we're saying that we're suspect. Uh, we are investigating two cases of COVID nineteen with a travel history to South Africa. Okay. Uh, so, how long is this going to take? So, it could take upwards of seven to ten business days to get the results of the whole genome sequencing. That's the usual time frame it takes. Uh, Rick in Ontario, the Public Health Ontario lab actually sequences all of our um, COVID-19 cases at this point in time. So that's the timeline we're usually working with. I guess most importantly, how are these two individuals doing? So I can't speak specifically to details of individual cases. I'll say that they are both um, isolating and all of their contacts are isolating as well. Okay. From a public health perspective, um, do you guys keep daily tabs on these two people and their contacts? How does this work? So for all of our COVID-19 cases, not just these two individuals, there is an isolation period. And during that time, we do um, follow up with both the cases and the contacts. The contacts, of course, to ensure that they don't develop symptoms and that they're staying in isolation. Michelle Baird is a Hamilton Public Health Services COVID-19 Operations Chief. We are talking about the COVID-19 Omicron variants that uh, may or may not be in Hamilton. The investigation continues. Um, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that, uh, cont- uh, you know, cases continue to pop up. And if it is Omicron, we shouldn't be surprised at how quickly it has arrived in Hamilton because it's spreading out, you know, pretty quickly uh, to other nations and provinces as well. Correct. And that's um, not unanticipated. Certainly, we live in a global environment right now. So lots of travel, lots of movement between people and for viruses. This is what happens. I mean, we saw that with Delta variant after we had the Alpha variant. So at this point, we're really just, I think, um, waiting to understand the science for this particular variant and understanding if it is more transmissible or if it's more virulent than the Delta strain. So now that we have a new variant of concern and it is starting to spread, does that mean that uh, public health is encouraging testing to ramp up or we're going to see ramped up testing or we're going to see more people lining up to get their vaccinations? 
So at this point in time, um, we're not encouraging more testing. We are, of course, encouraging anyone to be tested. If you are uh, feeling unwell, you have symptoms of COVID, certainly go get a test. Book yourself an appointment at the assessment center. With respect to vaccine, we're encouraging, we continue to encourage uh, people who haven't had a first and second dose to get your first and second dose. Um, at this point in time, over 99% of the virus circulating in the province is Delta, and we know that uh, two doses of vaccine provides very good protection um, against the Delta variant. So get your vaccine if you're eligible for a third dose, certainly do that as well. So continuing our messaging, uh, there's nothing additional at this point. Continue the same measures with respect to wearing your mask, uh, physically distancing where possible, and following those same good public health measures that people have been doing for the past uh, 18 months now. In regards to Hamilton Public Health's uh, vaccination uh, clinics, I know there's some uh, mobile clinics out there as well. What's the status of those? Where are they right now? So at this point in time, we have two uh, fixed site clinics. You'll know one is at Lime Ridge Mall, while another one is at the center on Barton. In addition to that, we have a number of mobile clinics happening in the city. There's actually quite a few of them, Rick, and I'd encourage people just to go on to the hamilton.ca website and have a look at where the clinics are today. As well, we have um, over 100 pharmacies now in Hamilton that are offering COVID vaccine. And again, that full inventory available on the website. So if you're looking for vaccine, there's lots of opportunity in the community. Is there an expectation or maybe a plan to put more staff in these clinics because the rush is going to, you know, there's an expected rush of people to get vaccinated? So at this point in time, we do have capacity within our clinics. There are appointments available. We also have the ability, if if those appointments were to fill up, we certainly have capacity within the clinics to expand the numbers of doses we're providing daily significantly. So we aren't worried at this point in time with respect to vaccine availability. There's lots of supply. There's lots of appointments. That's good news. Uh, Your thoughts on what Dr. Kieran Moore had to say yesterday in, in response to this new variant? So I would say at this point that we are just following the direction of the province and not trying to understand what that science is. And certainly we'll, um, when we know more, we'll, we'll see at that point what needs to happen. And I guess uh, calm should be the word. People shouldn't be panicking that, uh, hey, here's a new variant of concern. Uh, we're all going back into restriction and lockdown mode. Absolutely. Definitely at this point, I, you know, we understand why people are concerned, but remain calm. No need to panic at this point in time. Go about the measures you've been taking. And again, I'd really encourage people to get a vaccine. There's lots of opportunity out there. Michelle, always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks, Rick. Have a good one. You too. That's Michelle Baird, Hamilton Public Health Services COVID-19 Operations Chief. And again, um, you know, two suspected, or at least two cases that are under investigation in terms of whether or not they are the Omicron variant. And that will take at least a few more days for that uh final results to come back. And when it does, we will certainly relay relay that information to you. Of course, to reduce risk of transmission, um, you know, keep distance from each other, wear that mask, uh, practice hand hygiene, some of the things, all the things that we've been doing over the last uh, almost two years now. And uh, if you do, uh, you know, see some symptoms develop, uh, definitely get tested, self-isolate, contact your workplace or family member. And uh, let's put a stamp on this rather quickly. It has spread rather quickly. Uh, already around the world. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. With the COVID-19 pandemic and the supply chain crisis that it has created, we've received word here that, and this is, you know, this is uh, gut-wrenching, that there is a 
shortage of liquor and wine in local bars and uh, across the province, across the country, and in some parts of the world. How can this happen? Say it ain't so. Jennifer and Kyle Ferreira are with Bar Sarazak and join us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Kyle, Jennifer, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Jennifer, we'll start with you. Uh, Is this true? Are we seeing a shortage of liquor? It is indeed true. Um, so, so Kyle and I, we own a cocktail bar on uh, James Street North. Um, so we, we, we primarily deal with uh, spirits. Um, but we have of, like heard, of course, of uh, various like restaurants also having issues with, with wine supplies as well. Um, but for right now, for example, there's uh, a lot of things, like especially Italian Amaros, that uh, there's a, a, a like shortage of. Um, so the big one, of course, being Campari. So if you like Negronis or Manhattans. Uh, oh, sorry, not Manhattan's, uh, Negroni's and Boulevardier's, that's going to be a problem for you. So, so uh, Kyle, are, are these bottles of Campari and other liquors like just hold up somewhere? Are they stuck in a boat? Where are they? Uh, unfortunately, we don't know. There's a, there's a lot of different uh, speculation on that. But the, the major issue is that these are uh, somewhat standard bottles for uh, cocktail bars and restaurants. So we're talking about things that they would have on their rail and things that uh, people would expect them to have. So, Jennifer, how has this impacted your business? Uh, it means a lot of switching, uh, like, of, of menu items. Um, it means trying to, uh, y- you sort of notice when things are going to be short. So you start trying to get them before they're completely gone. Um, so that means uh, sometimes having a, a higher inventory than what you would like, which during, you know, a pandemic is obviously not um, ideal because you're holding on to a lot of, like, inventory that you you know you're going to sell eventually later, uh, but it's a lot of money up front sort of thing. Kyle, has this uh, created uh, some awkward situations at uh, at the table or tables? Well, generally speaking, we don't like to say no to our guests. <laughs> um, I think that's kind of standard for business in general. Um, but uh, thankfully, most people are a little bit understanding, as well as we try and set up situations where that won't happen. Uh our menu has shifted uh, to kind of move with uh, things that we can easily get and things that we can't easily get. And uh, we're just a little bit more coy about what it is that we're trying to do. Jennifer and Kyle Ferreira are our guests. They are from Bar Sarah Zach. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. There is a liquor and wine shortage, if you can believe it. Uh, speaking of wine, is it hard to get as well, or at least certain bottles? Uh, yeah, I mean, VQA, especially serving... Uh, the going through our friends in Niagara, it should, it, that's not an issue. It's the uh, stuff from, let's say, France or Italy right now. Uh, Jennifer, has this shortage been a slow roll? Could you see it kind of trickling in or did all of a sudden the well run dry? Uh, I would say it depends on uh, what liquor you're, that you're looking for. Like in particular, sometimes it does happen where uh, we go to look for something and it's just already gone. Um and sometimes it does happen where you can kind of see a trickle-down effect. So it's it's kind of a little bit of both, actually. Hmm. So, Jennifer, how long is this shortage expected to last? Uh, we have no idea. It could be um, for months. It could be for weeks. It, there's there's no uh, like sort of indication of how long it's going to be. Wow. So, Kyle, are, are drinks being watered down so you can kind of <laughs> you know keep that bottle on the shelf just a wee bit longer? Uh, absolutely not. We have a <laughs> we have a little thing called uh, standards over at Bar Sassarac. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it is just one of those things that 
we do impress upon uh, our our patronage that there is alcohol. You know, there is different uh, cocktails they can have right now. And there's just different cocktails they can't. Uh, Jennifer, any cocktails that are costing more now because there's a shortage, and you have to you know look at that bottle and, th- and think, uh, hey, it's getting down to the nubs. We got to charge a little bit more, a little bit more of a premium for this kind of drink. Yes, uh, uh, like absolutely. Um, so right now there's uh, there's also a shortage of uh, pisco. So if people want pisco sours. Um, there's literally no Pisco in Ontario at all. Um, so I will tell people, you know, uh, unfortunately we only have this much Pisco. Um, we don't know when it's going to come back in. So, uh, the price for a cocktail will be a little bit higher than what you're used to because of that. Well, hey, listen, uh, you guys are trying your best, as are our other, uh, you know, businesses in town with uh, various other supply shortages. So good luck in the future and we'll keep tabs on this. Thanks for joining us today. No Thank problem. you very much Thank for having us. That is Jennifer and Kyle Ferreira from Bar Sarazac. Go check them out on James North and, uh, you know, order something that's either in stock. And if it's not, you can talk about it with your friends and uh, and it'll certainly be a, a discussion item either at the dinner table or at uh, your favorite uh Uh, cocktail bar you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml the federal government has tabled a new and what many are calling tougher bill in its latest effort to ban conversion therapy here in canada now if passed this legislation is going to prohibit practices designed to change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity even when it comes to consenting adults a liberal mp randy boissonneau anticipated what critics of the bill might Our bill does not criminalize a personal value or belief. It also does not criminalize conversations that explore identity. Nor does it impact teachers speaking to students about important issues. Our bill would protect Canadians from exposure to a cruel and deeply harmful practice. It's known as C4, the latest bill aiming to close some loopholes that the last piece of legislation uh, to tackle the issue fell short of becoming law during the last parliamentary session because, well, the election was called and the House had to dissolve. Uh, If passed, this piece of legislation would make it a crime to cause someone to undergo conversion therapy, uh, taking a minor out of the country in order to get uh, conversion therapy in another country, profiting from the practice as well as either advertising or promoting conversion therapy. Erica Muse is our next guest. She's a local Hamiltonian and survivor of conser- conversion therapy and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Erica, good morning. Good morning. Your thoughts on what the federal government is now doing for what, what is this, the third time? Uh, it has been a very long road to here. I am heartened that this new version of the bill is banning conversion therapy for Canadians of all ages. That was a big omission in the past, though. And I am hopeful that the federal government will continue listening to survivors like myself to improve the bill as we go forward through the legislative process. Yeah, that, that's an interesting part. And, and uh, previous iterations of this bill did not focus on all ages, which was kind of weird. It was. Um, the previous discussion that the government had was that they can't stop adults from presenting the things that they'd want to do. But conversion therapy is widely and internationally agreed to be a torturous practice that is fraudulent. It's not something that Canadians get consent to in the first place. Uh, I'm kind of shocked that this hasn't been, you know, finalized in past years. There's been plenty of opportunities, most recently earlier this year, to do this. And it seems like there's been, I don't know if it's a delay tactic or other priorities got in the way. Um, I'm hearing that maybe before or around Christmas or maybe a little after Christmas that this is going to get passed. Are you hearing the same thing? 
Uh, it, um, David Lamedi said yesterday during the press conference that they are hopeful they are able going to set it to the Senate for the end of the year. That does not mean that the bill is going to pass, but it'll hopefully come through the House of Commons at least. And well, I'd, I'd probably expect to see it actually pass to the first quarter of 2022. Well, that's good news. Erica Muse is a uh, Hamilton resident, survivor of conversion therapy. Would you like to share your personal story? Yeah, I think the one thing that I would like to tell Hamiltonians is that we often don't know that conversion therapy is happening in our communities, that's happening to people we might know ourselves, that's happening in the shadows. Myself, I came out at 16, now basically almost close to 16 years ago, here in Hamilton, and I was first to the conversion therapy through the Ontario public health care system because there was nobody who was willing to treat trans patients such as myself in Hamilton at the time. Everybody had to go through the Center for Addictions and Mental Health in Toronto, and they practiced conversion therapy on myself and many other people. So, yeah, so the process often happens people are not aware of it. It often happens in spaces they're not aware of across this province and across Canada. And that's why we need this bill. We need the provincial bill that Ontario has in place, and we also need municipal action to make sure that all Canadians are protected in as many ways as possible. So what happens in a conversion therapy session? It really differs from person to person. Um, what I went through was intense talk therapy that was that was supposed to basically deconstruct my identity and force myself to force me to live the life that the therapist want me to live, to adhere to his idea of what my identity should be. For other people, it might involve um, you know, physical trauma, such as electroshock therapy or aversion therapy. There could be religious elements for many people. A lot of the experiences differ from survivor to survivor, but universally, they are torturous, harmful, and lead to depression and often suicidal ideation. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, you're, you're painting a picture of the Dark Ages, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it is. And it's unfortunate that this is a practice that's been able to go on so well. So but I believe that Canadians don't want this to happen, and I believe that we can make it so it's illegal in Canada. Absolutely. Um, we got about a minute here. How, how have you yeah. recovered since these therapy sessions, if you can call it therapy? I recover as best I can. I try to find support in the community. Uh, Kyle's Place here in Hamilton is a great uh, community center for many of us trans people here. And I have tried to meet other survivors and work on bills such as this to try and make sure this happens to no one else. That's a big part of healing for me. Absolutely. Erica, I really appreciate the time today. Uh, congrats on you know taking these steps to get to a better place. Let's hope that uh, as a country, we're in a better place with this new legislation. And uh, thank you for telling us your personal story as well. Thank you very much, Rick. Have a good day. You too. That's Erica Muse, Hamilton resident, survivor of conversion therapy. And again, this bill C-4 is going to go um, through the House of Commons. And um, as Erica surmised uh, to the Senate a little later on this year, and hopefully by the new year, uh, we'll finally see some action and this become uh, into law. Uh, and it is a long, long time coming. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today is Giving Tuesday. It's a time when charities, companies, individuals come together to rally and um, generate some funds for their favorite causes or really notable causes that help a lot of people. Now, a generous donor has stepped up to create a gift matching campaign for today's Giving Tuesday to help students at Mohawk College not go hungry. This is pretty cool. The donor is going to match all donations to the Mohawk College Student Food Assistance Program. And here to chat about it is Ron McCurley. He's the president of Mohawk College and the Mohawk College Foundation. Ron, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. And happy Giving Tuesday. Yeah. So what's going on at Mohawk College today? It sounds like a an, an extra special Giving Tuesday. 
Well, it is indeed, and we have uh, our gift catalog, and uh, one of the things that we're focused on this year is supporting our students who uh, are relying more and more on our our food bank for uh, food security. Students, uh, we know, can't succeed if they're hungry, and there's a real and growing need for food assistance among college students. Uh, Last year, uh, requests for food assistance were up 50%, and this year they're increasing beyond that. So... Um, this year, uh, we have had, a, as you mentioned, a very generous donor step up and will match uh, uh, our donations that we've received through the catalog. The first 5,000 will be matched uh, if they go towards the Mohawk Food Assistance Program uh, today. And uh, so we're hoping that listeners uh, will see this as an opportunity to give a unique gift this Christmas to help support uh, the food needs of some of the college students, and they can do that through our gift catalog. Uh, is this donor anonymous, or has this individual come forward and identified themselves? No, they've identified themselves. It's uh, um, uh, Glenn Steves and his wife Heather, who um, loan, own a number of the local McDonald's franchises, and they uh, have chosen to support uh, students in this way at the college, and so we're uh, very, very pleased. Uh, Glenn also serves as chair of our foundation board. That's awesome. Are either of them alumni of Mohawk? Uh, no, they're not alumni of Mohawk, but there are uh, certainly lots of uh, people on our foundation board that are alumni of the college, but they have a particular uh, passion for students and supporting students. And, of course, that's the, the business that they're in is is feeding hungry people and um and certainly they see the need through uh, through the college to continue to feed our students. That's amazing. Huge thumbs up to both uh, Heather and Glenn Steves for uh, giving uh, up to $5,000. That is uh, an amazing gesture. Let's talk about the catalog. What's in it? What can people see? Yeah, lots of interesting things in the catalog, and it's really designed uh, by, with the students in mind. So areas of his, uh, support include things like uh, access to technology for those that wouldn't have a laptop, Uh, Living essentials, which uh, could include uh, help with the rent, Uh, a student support fund for unexpected hardships, uh, child care support, uh, medical support, uh, and, of course, food assistance. Uh, So uh, food assistance is the area of focus for today, we hope. Uh, So if donors are interested uh, or just listeners are interested in supporting uh, through the catalog, we'd ask them to click on that particular item in the catalog and um, uh, and give there. But lots of different things, and, and they're all uh, focused on the students and helping the students succeed through their studies to graduation. This is the first of three Giving Tuesday interviews on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Pleased to be joined by Ron McCurley, President of Mohawk College and the Mohawk College Foundation. Where can people access the catalog so they can see all this great stuff? Yeah, thanks, Rick. So it's online. Uh, if you just uh, uh, key in giftcatalog.mohawkcollege.ca, giftcatalog.mohawkcollege.ca, and just click on uh, the food assistance item in the catalog, it'll take you right there. You can also just Google Mohawk gift catalog, and it'll show up as well in the Google search engine. But giftcatalog.mohawkcollege.ca, and we would Love it if the listeners could help out our students. It certainly has been a, a really tough 20, 21 months, whatever, how long it's been now. We've kind of lost count uh, halfway through. But, uh, you know, whether it's remote learning or now, you know, losing their part-time jobs, food insecurity, it, it, it's been really tough for students. Um, what feedback, what things have you heard from them? 
Yeah, well, the students were among the very first to lose their jobs when the pandemic started. A lot of them work in food services or hospitality uh, industries, and, of course, those were the first ones to be impacted. Um, many of their jobs have come back, but um, uh, but they're still feeling the pinch of having lost uh, income. Um, a lot of isolation, uh, a lot of challenges um, uh, with students working remotely, so we're trying to get them back on campus uh, in January, we'll have uh, most students back on campus uh, to get them reconnected socially. Um, so that's been a it's been a challenging time for them, uh, Rick, and and a lot of them have uh, felt the loss of income. Uh, of course, if you remember back to your time in in uh, school, uh, you were uh, a long time ago, <laughs> yeah, right? Well, we were all the poorest we've ever, we were ever uh, as students, right? It was hard just to uh, uh, to pay the tuition and to be able to take care of ourselves and. Of course, a lot of students uh, rely on those part-time jobs, and when they lost that, that was devastating. Uh, We are now uh, eyeballing this uh, Omicron variant of COVID-19. Your thoughts on potential impacts on the upcoming semester? Yeah, well, so far, um, we've been able to keep students safe on campus, and we have not had outbreaks. We've had a few isolated uh, cases where uh, it was contracted in the uh, in the community and then brought on campus, but we've been able to keep students safe. So our goal is to continue to uh, open up the campus uh, from what we know today, and our, their plans are to January in January to have most students back on campus. But you know, this is such a moving target, and I think that's what we've seen, Rick. It, we just we don't know what's going to happen next, and so we have to be prepared. And um, so far, we, uh, we we are planning to continue with all of our. Uh, you know, social distancing, our, our protective equipment, uh, mask wearing and so on, as well as ensuring that students are vaccinated when they come onto campus. And for our listeners, you can help with the food insecurity issue at Mohawk College by going online to giftcatalog.mohawkcollege.ca and uh, make a difference here on Giving Tuesday. Ron, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Rick. That's Ron McCurley, president of Mohawk College and uh, the Mohawk College Foundation. Again, the gift catalog for Mohawk, giftcatalog.mohawkcollege.ca, and make a difference on this uh, Giving Tuesday. It's a great initiative. We'll chat with officials from McMaster University. We're also launching a gift or a Giving Tuesday initiatives today, and City Kids as well, as it's an important day for those three organizations and many others who are participating on this day. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This is a time where we come together, uh, charities, companies, individuals even, uh, joining together to rally for their favorite causes and giving back to the community in a variety of ways. And the McMaster Marauders Athletics Department is no different, launching its own Giving Tuesday Challenge. Uh, The goal is to raise funds that are going to enhance the student-athlete's experience. Here to chat about it is Sean Burt. He's the Director of Athletics and Recreation at McMaster University. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. How are you? Not too bad. Yourself? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for joining us today. What is happening at McMaster on this Giving Tuesday? Yeah, it's an exciting day. Um, We've never really engaged in um, a Giving Tuesday campaign for our student-athletes and and our programs before. Um, But obviously, with the situation coming out of COVID, we needed to rethink things and take a look at what we're doing from a fundraising perspective and uh, with the support of our annual giving team and our university advancement group. Um, we've pulled together a campaign where individuals can support um, their team of choice or they can support the department more broadly on what we'll call some some program enhancing or program transformational initiatives around uh, 
uh, high performance sports. So yeah, we're really excited, um, and and the uh, the initial uptake uh, leading into today has been been phenomenal, actually. And so for this being the first time where you're focusing on student athletes on this day, um, and and you know, just hearing you talk about the response, uh, was that expected? Was that surprising? Is it uh, obviously it's a pleasant surprise? That's a great question because you never know until you try it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would say it's it's been a really pleasant surprise. I think that people realize that um, our student athletes went through a, a, a tremendous amount of change, not unlike everyone else um, through COVID. Um, but our, our mandate and our focus is on providing the best uh, student athlete experience and frankly, the best student experience through our recreation programs here at Mac. And, um, you know, when that is, is, quote unquote, taken away from, from students. Um, some people didn't have a quote unquote proper first year. And uh, certainly some of our fifth years didn't have the experience or our graduating seniors didn't have the, the last year experience that they were hoping for. So we're doing everything we can to, to reintroduce some normalcy um, to our department and our offerings and, um, and really get back on, on even ground and, and ensure that everyone feels supported and valued uh, through the entire process. For listeners who are uh, listening to this and they do want to donate to the cause, maybe there's some alumni too who want to help out, how can they go about doing so today? Yeah, we can just come into our website. There's a banner that that greets people um, when they log into our website um, that'll talk a little bit about Giving Tuesday. They can click on that link. And like everything else these days, everything is done online. It's it's, uh, enabled for people's phones as well as uh, is online. So it's really just as simple as hitting the marauders.ca website, um, going in, taking a look around, whether it's a team that they'd like to support or if it's the department more broadly. Um, they have all of those options. There's individual team pages there for everyone to take a look at. So what is the money going to go towards? Is this just uh, buying equipment, uh, t- training elements? W- what's the money going to be used for? Yeah, the, the focus really is on excellence. Um, and so what we're looking at are, are those types of things that are program transformational that we feel will get us on the path of um, OUA and, and national championships. So, for instance, um, one of our teams, our men's volleyball team, will take a look and say, okay, we need to have two NCAA trips a year against um, you know NCAA leading uh, volleyball programs, whether it's Long Beach State, Stanford, one of those um, programs in order for us to to realize the you know the goal of an OUA and or U Sports championship. Others might be focused on uh, things like uh, nutrition ca- uh, counseling, sleep consulting, uh, those types of things where we can get a competitive edge for young student athletes that are at an interesting time in their lives. And and we're also looking more broadly at at technology and and what I'll call experiential learning opportunities where maybe we have more access or ability to leverage wearable technology to help with our training and performance needs um, across different sports. So we're really looking at those things that are going to differentiate us just a little bit more uh, than our competitors uh, to ensure that we're in the, the provincial and national championship picture right across the board. Sean Burt is the Director of Athletics and Recreation at McMaster University. We are chatting about uh, McMaster's Giving Tuesday Challenge, which uh, has been uh, out there and launched at uh, marauders.ca. You mentioned it earlier, it has been an extremely difficult time for many student-athletes. Number one, the, the student part of it has been really challenging with remote learning and not being on campus, but being the athletes in that equation as well has been super tough because 
if you were a fifth-year senior last year, you missed out on you know your final game, your last football snap, or your last layup on the basketball court, or whatever the case is, and those who were just entering the university experience missed out on their first experiences in the sporting realm. Uh, how have they responded this year? Well, I have to tell you, it, I'm so proud of our, our student-athletes and, frankly, all of our coaches and staff for you know maintaining their focus and, and frankly, their positivity through an incredibly difficult time. Um, I think it speaks volumes about the, the character of our staff and our students when um, they recognize that it's a, a, a you know a once in a lifetime event, hopefully, and um, that that this was something that was just um, completely unforeseen. Um, but having said that, there's no question that that it has an impact. You know, and I especially think of those those seniors, as you had mentioned, that that didn't have that opportunity to wear the McMaster uniform for the last time and come together with their teammates and sort of end their careers, quote-unquote, uh, uh, as they had probably hoped and dreamed of. And, and that's really tough. And certainly in the context of what we're dealing with here, it, it might seem small, um, it's sport um, and, and everything else. But um, these young student-athletes, in a lot of ways, um, uh, their identity is shaped by the sport that they um, have poured their hearts and souls into for so many years to get to McMaster, which is obviously a globally recognized university, um, to have this experience and, and to have that taken away is, has been really tough on, on a lot of our student athletes. So we want to do everything we can to support the next generation of uh, Marauder athletes and, and the current student athletes. So uh, this is why today is just so important. It, it, it gives everybody a sense of hope, I think, and it also starts to feel a little bit normal um, as we, we try to come out of this and, and get back on track. Well said. Sean, really appreciate the time today. Good luck with Giving Tuesday today, and uh, we'll chat with you down the road. Well, thanks for having me, and thanks to the entire community for their support. It's been unbelievable, and, and we look forward to winning some championships and making Hamilton proud. So thanks again. That'd be great. Sean Birch, Director of Athletics and Recreation at McMaster University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. City Kids is in this equation as well. They've launched their Gift of Christmas campaign on this Giving Tuesday. Here to chat about it is Todd Bender, the Executive Director at City Kids, and Laura Carmichael, the Associate Executive Director at City Kids. Good morning, you two. How are you? Great. Good morning, Rick. Great to be here. Todd, we'll start with you. What's going on today uh, with City Kids? Oh, well, we, as you mentioned, it's uh, it's Giving Tuesday. So obviously we're really excited about Giving Tuesday every year. And as you mentioned, uh, Rick, our Gift of Christmas campaign, it's been running for a little bit now, but we're right in the thick of it right now. And uh, there are thousands of gifts we're trying to bring in and thousands of gifts we're trying to get out the door just weeks before Christmas. So as many children as possible uh, can receive the gift of Christmas. So we're really excited about that. And uh, boy, do we need the community's help. Yeah, very much so. And we're here to assist in that uh, help. Uh, Laura, just talk about this campaign. And it sounds extremely busy. It is. It's a wonderful time of year where we are going to be receiving gifts from the community, then taking them. Our captains, our volunteers who know our kids really well are going to be personally selecting them for each and every child, wrapping them up and then delivering them to the kids door. So, Todd, what gifts are needed for kids in this city? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, 
Well, first off, uh, we, we need gifts for all age groups, basically. I mean, uh, the kids of City Kids range from preschool all the way up to uh, 16, 17 years of age. The, the most difficult gifts that we, we tend to um, have shortages on are gifts for our, our youth. So kids that are 12 to, to 15, 12 to 16 years of age. Laura, did you want to just touch on a little bit of some of the things that our youth are looking for this year that we, we try to give? Sure, I'd love to. Yeah, some of the gifts are just the more complex things. So Lego sets, but Legos that's a little bit more complex. Uh, things like Star Wars Lego or Ninjago Lego. Um, kitchen sets are really popular for all of our ages, as well as Beyblades and Nerf. Oh, can't go without Nerf. <laughs> <laughs> no, we cannot. <laughs> is there, uh, Todd, is there a goal in mind in terms of how much you need or how much you would like to see come in the door? Yeah, great, uh, great question, Rick. We, you know, each year with our Gift of Christmas campaign, we need approximately 4,000 toys. And of those 4,000 toys, uh, over 2,000 of them are distributed immediately through a lot of the City Kids programs. We also partner with other agencies in the community who maybe don't have the same ability to, to connect with the community for toys and also have programs. So we help support that as well. Um, and then we also have a, a Christmas assistance program, Rick, that um, for families that are, are, are particularly struggling at Christmas time, reach out to us or are referred to us. And uh, often what we try to do is put together full Christmas, uh, a full Christmas experience uh, for those families. And then uh, some toys sometimes come in after the um, our Christmas deliveries are done. And so all the kids of City Kids, uh, over a thousand of them receive gifts on their birthdays as well. So of all those thousands of toys, every single one of them are going to find their way uh, to the uh, to the home and to the hands of a, of a child. That's awesome. Todd Bender is Executive Director of City Kids. We are also being joined by Laura Carmichael, Associate Executive Director at City Kids. They've launched their Gift of Christmas campaign. It's all part of Giving Tuesday and obviously beyond as well. Uh, where and how, Laura, can people drop off their toys? Yeah, so if people want to give their toys, they can go online to our website, so citykidskidswithaz.ca, and sign up for a gift delivery time. Then they would come down to our office, which is right on Burlington Street, and they can drop off the toys to us here. All right, that sounds easy enough. Todd, talk about the impact of the pandemic on City Kids, on local kids in this community. What have you noticed? Yeah, it has been, um, well, you know, Rick, I, I think first off, the pandemic's been tough on all of us, but when you're a family or, or caregivers and children who live in, in communities that maybe already don't have the same amount of resources to deal with uh, things that come up, you know, things like a pandemic, just uh, they compound already difficult circumstances. So um, we've seen a lot of that, a lot of need. We've also seen a lot of great things in our community, a lot of organizations and individuals rise up uh, to meet those needs, but no doubt these last few Christmases have been uh, a lot more difficult because, you know, at Christmas time, it's the time when when caregivers and, and parents um, all want to do more for their kids, right? And children also have expectations. They want to enter into the season. Uh, but at Christmas time, all those things compound even greater. So uh, it's one of the reasons why it's so, so important this time of year that our community comes together and reminds all of our kids, youth and families that they're not forgotten, that our community cares about them. And Rick, I would say that that has really been the whole point of, uh, of, of the City Kids programs over the year during the pandemic, but also at Christmas time, just to remind all of our kids and families and all our caregivers that uh, their community sees them. They hear, we hear them. They're not forgotten during this time, but it has definitely been a difficult uh, few years on top of everything else so many families have to deal with. Go to citykids.ca and help out on this Giving Tuesday. Todd, Laura, thanks for joining us today. Good luck with the campaign. Thanks so much for having us.
That's Todd Bender and Laura Carmichael of City Kids. Yeah, check them out. CityKids.ca. Register and give uh, what you can to help local kids uh, this Christmas season. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.